0: So I read a powerful story uh, of a man named Robbie. He was trapped in a terrible heroin addiction. In fact, to feed his addiction, he, he was spending $180 a day. He stole $15,000 from his parents. He found himself living in a home with no electricity, no water, no gas for, for months on end. He had eight friends who died of drug-related deaths, six friends who were arrested, and he had come to the end of the road. He was trapped in this addiction, and so he found himself in rehab, and in rehab once again, but still he couldn't break free. What was the turning point in Robbie's life? The turning point was the gospel. You see, someone had told him about how Christ came and died on the cross and made a way for sins to be forgiven, made a way for a person to to have a fresh start, to have a new life. And he remembered the gospel that had been shared with him and he turned to Christ and he became a believer. And everything changed for him. He began to grow in relationship with Christ. A fellow brother in Christ began to disciple him, began to teach him how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, how to pray, how to share the gospel with others. Soon, he was maturing and growing in his faith, and he enrolled in New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And now he pastors a large church and leads a ministry focused on discipleship. You see, in the midst of Robbie's mess, in the midst of his rebellious life, he discovered the mercy of God. He discovered That our brokenness and our mess doesn't have to be the end of the story. And now he's living his life for God, serving him passionately. What about our messes? What about our mistakes? What about our sin and rebellion? Is there mercy available for us too? Well, those are the questions that we're going to think about this morning as we continue our journey through the book of Jonah. We'll be in Jonah chapter 1 beginning in verse 17 this morning. As I've already said, Jonah's the likely author of this book because it contains a a lot of autobiographical information Though we don't know for sure. Now, many have argued that Jonah, the book of Jonah, has to be understood allegorically because the events that occurred are so, they're they're so fantastic. They're impossible. They, They couldn't be real, they couldn't be true. That's the argument that's made, and yet the Bible presents the book of Jonah as history. And Jesus himself, in Matthew 12, 40, we'll look at the passage later in the sermon, he affirms the fact that what happened in Jonah was real. This really happened at a specific time and place in the past. Now, let's give a quick summary of where we're at. God had called the prophet Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach the gospel. Well, the people of Nineveh were a part of the Assyrian kingdom, and these were enemies of Israel. And Jonah wanted no part of giving enemies of Israel, giving the people of Nineveh, an opportunity to repent and to get right with God. He wanted no part of it. He was happy for God's judgment to fall on the people of Nineveh, but he wanted no part of their rescue. And so what did he do? He decided he was going to flee from the presence of God. He jumped on a ship to Tarshish, which is something like saying, I'm headed to Timbuktu. He He was sure he was going to get away from God's call. But what happened is a terrible storm came, a raging storm, and the ship was about to sink. And after a series of events, it was determined the reason the storm was raging was Jonah. And so Jonah was hurled into the sea by his shipmates, and the waters calmed. Our story picks up there in verse 17 of chapter 1. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord as God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for, for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and your current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me, but I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more "'Toward your holy temple. "'The water engulfed me up to the neck. "'The watery depths overcame me. "'Seaweed was wrapped around my head. "'I sank to the foundations of the mountains. "'The earth's gates shut behind me forever. "'Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. "'As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, "'and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. "'Those who cherish worthless idols "'abandon their faithful love.' But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. You see, Jonah's sinking into the depths of the sea. He's, he's sinking into the depths of the sea. His death was certain. Or was it? God provided A fish, a giant fish. Now this fish didn't just happen to be swimming along at that place accidentally. No, we see from the scriptures that God commanded the fish, that God appointed the fish to be at this specific place at this specific time. If it weren't for this God-guided fish, Jonah would be dead. End of story. The text leaves lots of questions unanswered, like what kind of fish was it? Is there a kind of fish that a person could survive in for for three days and three nights? Does that kind of fish exist? Let's look at all the different species. The, The Bible doesn't answer those questions. That's not the intent of the text. You see, if God created the universe, God created the earth and the seas, if he hurled a wind onto the sea that caused this incredible storm, then surely God can miraculously use a fish to harbor Jonah for three days and three nights. Seeking to explain this naturally misses the whole point. This is supernatural. This is miraculous. This is the supernatural and amazing mercy of God. How long was Jonah in the belly of the fish? Well, the text says clearly three days and three nights. Now imagine what Jonah is experiencing. He's probably unsure of exactly what he's even inside. Imagine the smells that he must have smelled the slime, and the digestive juices. One thing's for sure, he probably wasn't hungry, right? And yet, this fish's belly was what kept Jonah from certain death. This fish was a beautiful mercy. It was a beautiful mercy in the midst of Jonah's mess. After all, Jonah's here because he thought he could defy God, because he thought he could Live life as he wanted to live it. The storm was the discipline of God. It was the discipline of God. But the fish, oh, the fish is the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God in the midst of Jonah's mess. So Jonah was sinking deep into the seas. And then suddenly a giant fish swallows him. And inside the belly of this fish, it's dark. It's pitch dark. Jonah's wet. He's not dead, but it's sure not the Hilton. He's in this fish three days. Now remember, when the storm was, was raging, the sailors were crying out to their gods, and none of their gods were answering. They were throwing out the ship's cargo down in the hold, taking all the cargo out. And underneath, down in the hold where the cargo's at, Jonah's sound asleep. So the captain wakes him up, and then they begin to pepper Jonah with all these questions. You remember all this from chapter 1. They're asking him all these questions. What what about this? Who are you? Where are you from? What's causing this? Call out to your God. And so everything that happened from the moment that captain awoke Jonah until now has been frantic and rushed. He's been peppered with questions. He's been thrown out. But now Jonah has some time to reflect. He's in the belly of this fish with time. Time to think. What does Jonah do? Well, we see in verse 1, Jonah prays. He begins to pray to the Lord. He, he calls out to God. What does Jonah pray about? Well, look in verse 2 and following. Jonah remembers those horrible moments when he was sinking deep into the sea, when he was cast out of the boat. Now, in verse 2, Jonah makes a couple of parallel statements. But both of them emphasize the, the, the same idea. Jonah says, I was in trouble, and I cried out to God, and God heard. God heard my prayer. Now, in verse 2, Jonah says, I cried for help deep inside Sheol. If you translate that phrase, deep inside Sheol, literally, it means in the belly of Sheol. Well, Sheol was the place of the dead. It, it was the, the abode of the dead. And so Jonah saying, I was in the belly of death. And from there, I, I cried out to you, God. And, and you answered. You heard my cry. Oh, Jonah, sees God's mercy. Now, in verses 3 through 6, if you look at the verses, there's actually a progressive descent down to the bottom of the sea. In verse 3, Jonah's at the water's surface. The waves are raging over him. In verse 4, Jonah realizes that that he had sought to escape God's presence and now he had been expelled from God's presence. He was banished from God's presence here in the water, he said. So he wanted to get away from God and now suddenly he is away from God and he sees what it's like. It's not at all what he had hoped for. Now some of you are thinking, you know what, I'm going to live life the way I want to. I'm going to live apart from God. But friends, this is where it will take you. For a while it may be fun, for a while it may be good, but this is where you land. This is what life is like apart from God. It doesn't give you life, it destroys you. It takes your life. And Jonah's experiencing what it means to be out of the Lord's presence. He said, I was expelled from your presence. But even in the reality of being expelled from God's presence, what does Jonah do? Jonah says, I called out to you and I looked to your holy temple. Now, what was the temple? The temple for the people of Israel was where God met them. It was the place where they would go and and worship God and meet God. And so Jonah longs to be in God's presence once again. And so he calls out to him. Oh, he longed to know God, to be with God. Now at the end of verse 4, notice that Jonah's no longer at the surface of the water. He's beginning to sink deeper. He's in the midst of the sea. By verse 5, he's near death as he continues his descent. He finds himself entangled in seaweed. By verse 6, Jonah feels that he is as deep as the foundations of the mountains. He feels that he's at the bottom. And he says earth's gates or earth's bars are closing in around me. At this point, he's in the deep of sea and he is drowning. He's experiencing the sensation of dying. His life is slipping away. He's all but dead. So Jonah prayed a prayer of thanksgiving and praise for God, for God hearing him. What else did Jonah pray while he was in the belly of that fish? Well, look at the end of verse 6. And Jonah says that God lifted him up from the pit. Now, the pit is a reference to the grave. You can see that throughout Scripture, but but consider Psalm 88, verses 4 and 5. Jonah says, I was in the grave, but you raised my life from the pit. You raised my life up from the grave. Now, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12 40. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. What was Jesus talking about? Well, he was talking about the tomb. He would be in the tomb for three days, and then he would rise. He would be resurrected. He would conquer death. So, the belly of this fish, this pit, this grave of death, what, is, what does it point to? It points to new life, it points to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as the belly of that whale wouldn't be Jonah's grave, so that tomb wouldn't be Jesus' ultimate grave. No, he would rise from the dead in the pit. Friends, there's hope. If you belong to God, if you were a child of God, and you find yourself deep in the pit, friends, it's there that God meets us and brings new life. We discover the mercy of God in the midst of our messes. Some of them that we have made and some of them that have come upon us. We discover His mercy. It's here that we have opportunity to repent, to refocus, to get our lives right with God, to find new life and new hope. Oh, this was Jonah's story. And friends, it can be your story too. Notice that Jonah says to God, Oh, Lord, my God, in verse 6. Through all that, that Jonah has gone through, he hasn't lost his faith. Yes, he fleed from God for a period of time. But ultimately, he knew. He knew who God was. Ultimately, he continued to hold fast to the Lord. In verse 7, Jonah says, When my life was passing before my eyes, I remembered the Lord. I prayed to you. My prayer came to you, and as we mentioned earlier, he, he mentions the temple here once again. He's longing to be in the presence of God. He knows that he's estranged from God, but he wants to be with God. He wants to meet God. Now, he doesn't want to be out of God's presence any longer. He wants to be in his presence. In verse 8, Jonah says the chasing after idols is a fool's errand. He says idols won't rescue. Do you remember back in chapter 1 when these sailors, these pagan sailors were calling on their various gods, rescue us from the storm, rescue us from the storm. They were pleading with their gods. What happened? The storm's intensity grew worse. That's what Jonah's saying here. Those who chase after idols... Oh, they're wasting their time. And and we say to ourselves, oh, thank God I don't chase after idols. I'm not worshiping at an Asherah pole or something like they did then. But you know what? Our idols are different today. We worship at the idol of money. Oh, if I can just get more money and hold on to what I've got. Oh, pleasure. Oh, if I can just do this and do that. Oh, this is going to be so awesome. Or is it power or fame or prestige? Oh, I want people to see who I am. I'm big stuff. I want them to recognize that, to see that, to get a hold of that. Oh, these are the idols that we bow down to today and they do not save. They are broken idols. And that's what Jonah says here. It is a fool's errand to chase after these broken idols. And what does he say? They'll leave you without the faithful love of God. You can chase after them but you miss where real life is at. You miss where faithful and undying love is at. Now in verse 9, Jonah says, in contrast to these idol lovers and idol chasers, he says, I will honor God. And notice that he says, I'm going to offer thanksgiving and praise and sacrifices. And Jonah says, I'm going to keep my vows that I've made to you. Now this vow that Jonah's talking about is probably a promise that Jonah made to God when he was near death he probably said to God if you'll save me then I'll do x and Jonah says here I'm keeping my vow God I'm keeping my promise now what was Jonah's vow we don't know for sure but I have a pretty good idea it might have been something like this God if you'll save me if you'll rescue me I'm headed to Nineveh I'm I'm headed to Nineveh. I'll get there. I'll do what you tell me to do. Jonah says, I'm going to fulfill the vows that I've made. Jonah acknowledges in verse 9 that salvation belongs to God. God's the only Savior, and salvation is in his hands and his hands alone. Jonah recognizes that God is sovereign, that God is sovereign even in salvation. Interesting, the root word for salvation here is salvation. The same root word that we get the name Jesus. So we get a glimpse of God's plan for salvation right here in the book of Jonah. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ came. Just a glimpse. So Jonah has cried out to God in the belly of that fish. Look in verse 10. The Lord commanded the fish. There can be no doubt this fish didn't have a sudden Tummy ache because he had eaten a bad batch of cod. No, this was the hand of God. This was the hand of God. The fish vomited Jonah at God's command. And where did the fish vomit Jonah? Out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea? No, he vomited him on dry land. Just accidentally, of course, right? Coincidence. No. No, God is sovereign. He's at work in the life of Jonah, He's accomplishing His purposes. So here Jonah is. He's been in a fish for three days, and now he's there on dry land. Talk about needing a shower. This fella is in a bind. Now, we don't know exactly where God put Jonah, where, where this fish deposited him. It's probably somewhere on the shores of Palestine because he's got a mission to accomplish, a mission that God's given him. What does this passage teach us about God? And about our relationship to Him. Well, I think the main idea of this passage is this. The Lord shows mercy to His people. The Lord shows mercy to His people that they might magnify Him. The Lord shows mercy to His people that they might magnify Him. You see, in the midst of Jonah's mess, in the midst of his rebellion and his disobedience, God mercifully brought discipline into Jonah's life. There was a storm. What God could have done was ignore Jonah. But mercy meant discipline. It means that in our lives too, friend. And God mercifully brought a big fish to swallow Jonah. Oh, more mercy from God. And what is Jonah's response to the mercy of God? Oh, he begins to worship. He begins to to express gratitude he begins to say, God, I will offer sacrifices and I'll keep my vows. Now, scientists and, and researchers use microscopes to, to magnify something that they're studying. In the hands of scientists and researchers, microscopes aren't something of a hobby or something that's meant to pass time. They are meant for a purpose, to further research, to make new discoveries, to, find, to help find cures to diseases, to diagnose disease. And when you've experienced the mercy of God, it isn't merely for your own good, though it certainly is for your good. But it's also so that you can magnify the Lord, so that you can live a life that brings Him glory, so that you live a life that shows others who He is and what He's like. You see, a microscope magnifies for a purpose, and you've been shown mercy that your life might magnify the God of all mercy. A loving and compassionate God. A God who's holy and just, no doubt. But a God who is marked by mercy. So let's think about the implications of this for our lives. We should begin by saying God is merciful. He's merciful and what good news is that? That we serve a God who, who longs to demonstrate mercy in the lives of His people and in the lives of those who, who rebel against Him. Over and over in Scripture, we see the mercies of God. He longs to show mercy. He showed Jonah mercy. He intended to show the pagan people of Nineveh mercy. He showed those other pagan sailors on the ship mercy. Have you dropped the ball? Have you rebelled against God? Have you gone your own way and ignored God? Done your own thing? The good news is that he's merciful. Call out to him. Yes, he brings mercy in the midst of our messes. I had a fifth grade reading teacher, Mrs. Moncris, an incredible teacher, a lady that was just a blessing, but I watched her over and over again. And over show mercy to a boy that I thought she should have just destroyed. You know, he always caused trouble. Always, always caused trouble. And and I would watch her. She would show mercy, show mercy, show mercy, show mercy, show mercy. Now eventually she would shut him down. But her desire was to show mercy. And, And I still remember her example of a person who exemplifies mercy. And God is like that. He longs to show mercy. If we continue to rebel and sin and and fight against Him, yes, eventually He'll shut us down. That's still an act of mercy. But His desire is to show mercy. He's a God of mercy. As we think how this applies in our lives, next, to receive God's mercy, repent. To receive God's mercy, repent. Do you need the mercy of God? God. I know I do, then repent. What does it mean to repent? Repent means, you know what, God, instead of doing things my way, instead of going my own way, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go your way. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to obey you. That's what it means to repent. You want the mercy of God? Then quit living life your way. And decide you're going to turn and you're going to go the way that God tells you to go. And friend, I want you to know that when you make that turn, you find the mercy of God. It's not that everything's easy. Think being in the belly of the well for three days and three nights was easy? Oh no, but it was mercy and it was good. And friend, when you turn from your sin and you call out to God in repentance, you'll find His mercy. It may not be an easy road, but it'll be a good road. It'll be a right road. repentance is something like if you're driving a car saying to God you know what I'm letting go of the wheel and I'm gonna ride shotgun you take the wheel you take the wheel God I want to go where you want me to go I want to live the way your word says for me to live I'm tired of running my own life God I want to follow you and obey you and do what you say I'll take shotgun that's what repentance is It's turning away from going your way, and it's going God's way. As we reflect on the implications of of this passage for our lives next, God shows mercy that you might glorify him. God shows you mercy that that you might glorify him. You see, when shown mercy, what did Jonah do? He praised God. He thanked God. He said, I'm going to make sacrifice. I'm going to keep my vows. So God shows us mercy, and our response shouldn't be indifference or apathy. It shouldn't be, okay, I got God's mercy. Now I can go on living life the way I want to live it. No, it shouldn't be forgetfulness. Oh, I'm busy with life. I'll deal with all that stuff one of these days. It ought to be a desire to glorify him. We should fall on our knees in gratitude. We should make worshiping him central in our lives. We should tell others about a God who is merciful, the good news of the gospel. As we reflect on the implications of this passage for our lives, next, there's only one rescue from the grave, and it is Christ. The only rescue from the grave is Christ. You see, Jonah gets a subtle hint, as I mentioned earlier, about God's plan for salvation. Salvation would come through Jesus. And as he was there in the belly of that fish for three days, oh, it was a picture The one who would come and be in the grave for three days but would rise again. You see, our salvation will come through Christ who gave his life on the cross. God is holy and pure, and we aren't. God is sinless, but we're sinful. And God can't overlook our sinfulness. To do so would be to compromise his very character. It's like a police officer who winks at a bank robbery. That can't happen. And God can't wink at our sin. He can't overlook our sin. So what did God do? He maintained his justice by sacrificing his own son. Instead of you dying for your sin, instead of me dying for my sin, Jesus died that our sins might be washed away. And that God's justice might be maintained. And so Jesus took our death on the cross. And when we call out to Jesus in faith and we say to him, I'm tired of going my own way, God. I'm putting my life in your hands. I believe in you. The Bible tells us that God saves us and he never lets us go. He never, ever lets us go one day unless Jesus returns before your death is coming. Mine too. You're going to be in a grave. Are are you ready for that day? There's only one way to escape the pit of death and it's through Christ. So have you turned to him in faith? Now we've seen that the Lord shows mercy to his people that, that we might magnify him. I saw the story of a boat called Jascon 4 it was a tugboat that capsized about 20 miles off of the coast of Nigeria in rough seas. It was around 4 in the morning and Harrison Okone was the ship's cook and he found himself in this boat it began to turn upside down as it, as it sank and suddenly the pressure of the water allowed the water to invade that ship and he found himself in a current of water and it pushed him and he ended up in an in a small air pocket. And Okone was there. For nearly three days. In this freezing cold water. He's about a hundred feet down. On the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. It's pitch black. Okone said that while he was there. In that air pocket. He began to cry out to God. And to pray the Psalms to God. Now diving teams had been sent. To recover bodies. And Okone had had heard the divers rustling around in the ship and he began to to make a noise to try to get their attention and suddenly saw the light from from one of the divers and he waved his hand out toward the diver and and grabbed the diver's hand and and he was rescued. And today, Okane gives praise to God for rescuing him from death. Friend, God will meet you in your messes, in your difficulties, in your impossible situations. When you repent of your sin, you'll find His amazing mercy. He'll meet you right there, right where you need Him. And like Okone, your response should be to glorify God, to tell others about His goodness and His greatness. You see, the Lord shows mercy to His people that we might magnify him. Believers, I ask you this morning, are you turning away from your sin? Are you repenting? You see, to find his mercy, you, you must repent. In response to his mercy and his grace, are, are you magnifying him? Are you, are you living your life for him? Are you telling others about him? Oh, let's magnify Christ and his great mercies. And still, there, there are many here today, perhaps, who have never turned to Christ, who have never received the mercy of God. You've been living life your own way. Maybe you've tried to be a pretty good person. You know, you've tried to do right for the most part. But the Bible says that no matter how hard you try to do right, it'll never, it'll never enable you to be in the presence of a God who is absolutely pure. The only way we can be in God's presence As if all of our sins are washed clean, every single one. And there's only one way for all your sins to be washed clean. It's through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. So have you called out to him in faith? To become a believer, you say this to God and you mean it in your heart. I have sinned and gone my own way. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus died, was buried and came back to life and I wanna follow him. And the Bible says, when you pray a prayer like that and you mean it, God gets a hold of you and he never lets go of you. He begins to shape and change you. He shows you mercy that your life might be a means of magnifying him and his greatness. Join me in prayer.